This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray first. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for pouring out your spirit to us this morning to make known your words to us in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me. He that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. So this chapter opened with the choosing of the critical 12. These are 12, they're critical. These are the 12 who are going to do what is described of them in Acts 17, 6, it's where they're gonna be described as the ones that have turned the world upside down. And these are the 12 who are gonna turn the world upside down and they're not gonna be the same after the, the world is not gonna be the same after these 12 have been launched out. So this is just pre-launch information here. The Lord's looking over these 12, and he's, as he's looking over them, he said in another place in John 6, 70 about them, 
have not I chosen you 12? Have not I chosen you 12? He's prayed all night before making the selection. He has made his selection. He's got his 12 there. He's looking over them, and he's thinking to himself, as he looks at these 12, they must not fail. They cannot fail. It's now he's feeling the responsibility to make sure that they don't fail. And so he prepares them. And this is what this chapter is all about here. He feels the call of God the Father. God the Father has sent him into the world to go reconcile the lost world back to God. He feels the call of the desperate, the call of desperation from the lost, that same call of desperation that lost Israel sent up to God in Exodus 2.24 when they were in Egypt, and it says that God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. So just as he did when Israel was in Egypt, he's now hearing the groaning of the lost world, and he's looking at a lost world, and he's having respect unto it. And he's not only looking on a lost world, and he's not only hearing their groaning, but he's also looking on these 12 that he's chosen before him, and he's thinking, this is my army. This is my troop. These are the men. These are my soldiers. They're now in my army. I'm gonna send them out. They have all, I don't have a lot of time to spend with them. I don't have a lot of time to prepare them. So this is the time of the preparation. It's gonna be a time of talking. I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna prepare them. And so he speaks to them. He doesn't want there to be any misunderstanding of what he's saying to them. He's chosen carefully the topics that he's going to speak to them. He's chosen carefully the words that he's gonna see to them, that he's gonna tell them. He feels his responsibility to prepare them well. And he's covered many subjects already, and we've looked at them. Especially he's covered subjects that have to do with warnings. He's warned them. He's going to send them as sheep out in the midst of wolves. I'm warning you. Men are going to beat your enemies. He's to give them all this warning because he does not want them to be broadsided. He does not want them to be shocked at what happens to them. And he knows that his men, his 12, are going to face what Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians 16.9, 1 Corinthians 16.9, when Paul says, for a great and effectual door is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. He knows that each of these 12 men are gonna find great and effectual doors that are gonna be open to them. He's gonna find people, that they're gonna find people out there who are going to cry out to them just as they cried out to the Lord, have mercy on me. And he knows that they're gonna be able to have mercy on those lost souls. But he also knows that they're gonna find in that process many adversaries, strong adversaries, adversaries of men, adversaries that are stronger than them, adversaries that will hate them adversaries that will persecute them, adversaries that will beat them, adversaries that will accuse them, and adversaries that will kill them. And so he wants them, 
when they come up against all these adversaries, to do what it says in Philippians 4.1. Philippians 4.1 where it says, therefore my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for, my joy, my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So he wants his army, he wants his men to stand fast, to not give up. So he's preparing them. He's preparing them now. And in this last section here in chapter 10, where we are right now, he is preparing them to stand fast by covering the subject of no peace. No peace and a sword and a family betrayals and accepting personal humiliation and losing life and finding life and how the lost are going to receive the Lord Jesus. These are the subjects here. So he starts out this section in verse 34 by saying, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. He just doesn't want them to be confused. And it was very easy for them to become confused when there's no peace, when they're gonna bring the gospel to the world and it's gonna result in no peace. He knows that they're going to that they're going to think when they get all encounter all this opposition because they brought the gospel to the world and he knows that they're not going to find any peace and they're going to find a sword and he knows they're going to be confused because he knows that they're going to be thinking wait a second we know the messiah from Isaiah 9:6 he's the child that is born he is the son that's given He's the one who the government is gonna be on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He knows that they know that he's the promised child that's gonna be born. He's the promised son that's gonna be given. He's the promised Wonderful Counselor. He's the Mighty God, but he's also got the name Prince of Peace. And they're going to find that the mention of his name, Jesus Christ, is going to result in no peace. And he wants to prepare them for this. He doesn't want that this should shock them. And so he knows that they know that when he was born, that angels came. And angels said the words of Luke 2.11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill to men. He knows when they leave him as his ambassadors that they're not gonna find this peace on earth that the angels sung about. And he doesn't want them to be discouraged. He doesn't want them to give up. So he tells them in verse 34, there will be no peace when his name is spoken. And he's not to blame for that because he still is the Isaiah 9-6 Prince of Peace. There will be no peace when his gospel is presented. And his gospel is not to blame for that because his gospel is still 
The Romans 10:15. how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. It's still the gospel of peace, but there'll be no peace when his name is spoken. There'll be no peace when his gospel is presented, and that's because man is to blame. Man is to blame. So he says in verse 34, think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. And when he says these words, think not that I am come to send peace on the earth, and he goes on and says, I am come not. They hear this, but then they also hear three very, very beautiful words in what he's just said. Three wonderful words. I, uh, yeah, well, he's talked about there's going to be no peace. But apart from that, they also hear these words in verse 34, I am come. I am come. And when they hear that, when they hear that, these three words, and even though they're in a negative context, nevertheless, they've heard from his lips, his majestic lips, they've heard these words, I am come. It's not the first time they've heard him say this. They also heard him say it on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, when he said in a negative way also, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So again, in the past, they heard these three words, I am come. It was in a negative way, it doesn't matter. They heard him say it, I am come. And as they just dwell on what he said, I am come, and they think back of the, a long time before, many, many years before, before he was known as Jesus, when he just was known as Jehovah or Yahweh, and when again, he heard the groaning we talked about, he heard the groaning of the Jewish people in Egypt, and he said those exact same words, exact same words in Exodus 3.8, when he said, and I am come, that's what he said, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, a large a land flowing with milk and honey. And now again, as he did when he came to Egypt to bring Israel out of Egypt. Actually, he came also to bring Egypt out of Israel, but that's something else. But he bring Israel out of the death of his Egypt. Egypt was for Israel, a place of death. We always talk about, oh, Hitler, the Holocaust, the concentration camps, Auschwitz, how terrible. Let me tell you something, Egypt was worse. Why? Because Hitler couldn't get his hands on all 18 million Jews. He could only get his hands on a third, on six million. But Pharaoh had his hand on all of the Jews, and they were slated for death, 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 death. And so he came to bring them out of their Egypt of death into a Canaan of life 
He came to save them from death, to bring life, and now again, he's come again, and he's going to say later in John 10.10 that the thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, to kill, and destroy, and they're gonna hear those words, I am come, I am come, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. They're gonna hear him later on say in John 12, 46, I am come, a light unto the world, that whosoever believeth in me should not abide in darkness. And so as they think about this, he said, I am come in Egypt. He says now in John 10, 10, he says, I am come to give life. In John 12, 46, he came to be a light. In Matthew 5, he didn't come to destroy the law. Now he says he didn't come to send peace. But all this concept of I am come, and with that begins to crystallize the concept of the Messiah. Who is the Messiah anyway? The Messiah is the one who comes. That's who he is. The Messiah is the coming one. Psalm 50, verse three, Psalm 50, verse three, where David said, our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him. It shall be very tempestuous round about him. He is the one who comes, the Messiah. He is the coming one. This is what happened when they brought him and announced him into the city of Jerusalem when he came in on Palm Sunday in Matthew 21, 9. The multitudes that went before followed, cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he left, he said to his parting words to Israel, you won't see me again until you say those words. Until you say those words, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Who is he that comes? The Messiah. That's what, who the Messiah is. He's the one who comes. He is the one that cometh. So when they hear him say this in Matthew 10, 34 here, verse 34, I am come, their hearts burn. Can't you see that? Their hearts burn within them as they realize it's the Messiah. He's the one in that. We just heard the Messiah say, I am come. Thrilling. Anyway, in his preparation of them, it's very important that he sets their thinking straight. Their thinking straight. So he starts off in verse 34 where he says, think not. He's getting them to think in the right way. He's concerned about what they're thinking about, just as he's concerned about what we think about, our thinking. The Lord's concerned about what, what thoughts are living in our mind. He's concerned about what occupies our thoughts. Why? Because Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Our thoughts determine who we are. An adulterer is an adulterer because he thinks of adultery. That's what makes him an adulterer. This is what it says in 2 Peter 2.14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. That means they cannot cease from thinking about 
Adultery, that's why he said in uh, Matthew 5, 28, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. He's an adulterer because of his thoughts of adultery. We'll be a good person if we think on good things. We'll be an honest person if we think on honest things. We'll be a pure person if we think on pure things, which is why we're told in Philippians 4 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So he gets right into their minds as he's speaking to them, and he says to them, don't think that his coming is gonna result in peace. That, not his first coming. This is his first coming. There's gonna be no peace. Just the opposite. There's gonna be no peace. There's gonna be a sword. His second coming, his second coming. That's when there'll be peace, but not this one. So he goes on to explain why there's gonna be no peace. Why? Because of verse 35, I am come to set a man at variance against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's foe shall be they of his own household. He describes and he uses this word variance. Another word for variance is disagreement. He sees clearly that the father of the house will not agree with his son, who now claims that he found Jesus, he believes in Jesus, he believes that Jesus Christ is God. I know that personally because I was that son whose father did not agree with me that Jesus Christ is God. He sees clearly that the mother of the house, in Jewish culture, the mother of the house is the supreme being. She sees clearly that the mother of the house will not agree with her daughter who now claims that Jesus is God. He sees clearly that the mother-in-law will not agree with that girl that his son chose to marry who says that Jesus Christ is God. And I know that personally because my wife Cheryl was that girl that I chose to marry that my mother did not agree with Cheryl that Jesus Christ was God. So all of these disagreements are called variants in verse 35. Even though the disagreements and the arguments would be sharp and they would be divisive and they would destroy peace in the home and in some cases result in a warfare, even all of that would happen, he said that he would not back down and that he was insisting to hold fast, stand fast, even though it brings war in the home. And so he has carefully chosen who would be the ones he's describing here. The order which he gives is very significant here because he's talking about, uh, referring to in these verses, he says, first, it would be the Jewish young son who would leave the family tradition of Jews don't believe in Jesus. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.